There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. We're there protecting the community that we live in. So that's, you know, that's what you sign up for and that's what we all love doing. So we're, we're going to do that, absolutely. Lee Doval has been a volunteer firefighter since he was 20. It's all he ever wanted to do since he was a young boy. He's just in the past few weeks decided to step down as a lieutenant after six years in his local brigade, as he's got two young sons now and a wife who need him more these days. But he's well and truly earned that change in his life. But don't worry, he's still getting called out. Just less meetings and less paperwork. That has got to be a good thing. I will not be touching the legal arguments and the politics involved between volunteer and career firefighters with a flagpole today, but what I can tell you is that Lee has nothing but good words to say about the cooperation between his volunteer brigade and the paid firefighters in his region. Lee and his team are often the first responders to many fatal car accidents and fires, and he sees things that many couldn't deal with. But the difference with Lee is that he's reasonably unaffected by all the trauma that he sees. And and Lee isn't a beer-swilling man mountain who fobs off any conversation about emotions being all that fluffy, cuddly stuff. He's a really gentle, compassionate, caring man. I I just don't know how he does it. He reminded me of a previous guest, forensic pathologist Shelley Robertson, who was on my podcast a while ago, and she was able to compartmentalise and distance herself from her work by continually reminding herself the person that she was examining was not a living soul. And it's similar to Lee's mindset. You know, I'd wind myself up in knots thinking about the deceased person I was with, you know, what and who they'd left behind, how their life had been cut short. And basically, I was humanising who I was dealing with. I just couldn't cut 
that very little busy mind of mine off all that emotional stuff and I'm envious of people who can do that. So, Lee, thank you so much for today and thank you for taking time out of, uh, I suppose, quite a few uh, on-calls or um, firefighting duties, but thank you very much for coming on board today. Yeah, no worries. No, thanks for um, having me on, Narelle. It's uh, quite an honour to be on your podcast as a guest, not just a listener. (laughs) I might just uh, start off here that... Lee and I met, I gave a talk at your CFA at a a dinner or something, wasn't it, Lee? Yeah, that's right. Back in 2019 at our uh, brigade dinner, yeah, you were the uh, keynote speaker that night. Yes, and uh, Lee and I found that we have a lot in common and I am not going to go bang on about the Tigers, but Lee and I are tragic Richmond supporters. But we've had a lot to be very thankful for over the last couple of years, haven't we, Lee? Maybe not this year. Well, not last. Uh, no, this year, yeah. Not this year, but, gee, we've had a good a good run, haven't we? Nah, nah. This this year wasn't great. But, you know, 2017 through to 2020 was a pretty good ride considering the first, you know, 29 years of my life where I didn't really get to experience anything. So, no, we definitely have enjoyed <laughs> those last few years. I always remember a friend of mine that I used to work with at Missing Persons and he had two little boys uh, and this was in the early 2000s and he had two little boys who had very rarely sung the Tiger song when, you know, we won a game because we hardly won and, uh, you know, (laughs) you could never get sick of the song. But anyway, I suppose we'd better get on with our questions, Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could sit here and turn this into a sports podcast, that's for sure. Oh, we could, we could. Um, so, Lee, I remember you telling me a story about the first fatal car accident that you went to as a, a keen young 20-year-old, I think you said, where your colleagues shielded you as best they could from the sites that you could be exposed to. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, no worries. Well, I, I can remember that first fatal accident that I attended. It was back in March 2010. I'd only uh, been qualified or, or turning out for four months after finishing the recruit course. And it was just a, um, a single car into a tree on Plenty Road in South Morang. Um, we didn't really have to do anything um, to that one. Um, and I didn't get to do anything. I was sort of just told to, I suppose, stay back at the rescue truck and get a few tools out um, and wait for further instructions. Um, in, in this situation, as I said, there wasn't much for us to do because the casualty was already unfortunately deceased um, and wasn't physically or, meant, or um, mechanically trapped in the car. So the extrication was done by, by the primary brigade there. Um, but, yeah, I suppose the first sort of in-my-face fatal. So did you feel like you wanted – did you want to go in and um, look and get involved not, – not look – but did you want to get involved or like did they have to hold you back or you thought, no, they know what they're talking about and I'll just stay here? Um, no, look, I suppose it was still still at that point uh, I hadn't been on many, many calls yet. So, you know, when I was given that, that well, we won't call it an order, but told to, to wait at the truck for further instructions, um, uh, I, I did that. Um, and, you know, we were going to then get some, some tools ready to, to potentially use. Um, and then, yeah, as it turned out, we got, got uh, told that the person was deceased and there was, there was no need for us to um, have an extrication there. Mm. Okay. So you now practice that yourself, don't you, where the roles are now reversed. So... How do you prepare one of your newer recruits or colleagues where they may be confronted by a scene that they could be traumatised by? Yeah, look, I suppose um, every accident you go to is different from the last one. So it is hard to explain or prepare newer members for for what they may see. Um, But I guess driving in the truck there, you know, you've got a bit of time to prepare for, for what you might you might be, you know, get about to see just based on the further information you've received from dispatch. So, um, you know, from that information whether whether you're going to be attending a major 
collision or whether it might just be something not quite as major that might just require a door to be popped open um, as the casualties only mechanically trapped but they're okay. Um, but I guess for me, and I think back to how I was treated um, when I was a new member, you always try to limit the exposure people have to those sorts of things and then only have the required number of members right up there in um, the inner circle actually participating in the rescue. Um, but also as a senior member of the brigade, whether that's a captain, a lieutenant, or just a senior firefighter um, that they're comfortable with, um, you'd, you'd make contact with them after the job just to see how they're doing. Um, you know, it might just be a quick chat to see, you know, is you know, were they affected by the job? Um, but the main thing is that, it, you know, they you want them talking to someone that they're comfortable with, um, whether that is someone at the job or even if it's part of the professional services that are available through the CFA. Mm. So what would you do? Because as a police person, if I said to a sergeant, look, um, I'm very affected by what I saw. I don't think I could come to work tomorrow. I don't know, something like that. They might start to think, hmm, we'd better keep Narelle off um, any, I don't know, say child deaths for a couple of weeks or like would you consider if one of your colleagues or a, a new recruit was really affected, would you say to them, look, we might, I don't know, stop you going to a, a couple of car accidents for a while or like how would you manage that if they do say that they're affected? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, you, you've got to be in the right, um, I suppose, mental state of mind to be responding to those um, accidents or incidents. But I suppose the CFA has always been very good to us in offering support services um, we, we have our 24 access to the CFA wellbeing line um, and that's available to all our members and, and their families as well. Um, and, you know, you've got access to psychologists, counsellors, you know, peer support, um, chaplains. So um, no matter how big or small your issue is, um, it's great to know we've, we've got the services available to us and they're all confidential too. So the members can actually access this independently um, without even having to talk to members of the brigade if, if that's what they wish um, because, you know, the things we see can affect relationships with others, particularly, you know, family and friends long after we're back in the station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like police. Like you can go to one fatal car accident and it affects you for the rest of your career or you are able to, as um, Shelley and yourself seem to be able to do well, is compartmentalise it, but not everybody can do that, can they? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's one thing you have to, you know, d- disconnect yourself from from what you're seeing and look at it. And I know it sounds cold, but looking at it as just the, as what your job is there and that's to, you know, we need to get that from there to there. Um, mm. and, and you've got to take the human element out of it. Otherwise, yeah, you'll, mm. you'll mm. let yourself up. You know, I've got a, a very, very dear friend uh, who's at a uh, police station in country Victoria. He's a, a one-man station. And I always remember when I worked with him, he was able to do exactly what you're saying. He was able to – he's one of the most uh, beautiful men I know, but – he was able to dehumanise what he was going to, what he was doing, and that's something I could never do. And I don't know if you actually, if it's in your genes or if you learn to do it, I don't know, but he's one of the best policemen I know, but that's because he can compartmentalise what he's doing. He doesn't humanise it and I think that's the issue. You, you're very lucky in that sense, Lee. Yeah, no, you, you definitely have to. Mm. And so just going back to that, so do you think that's something you were born with or have you learned? Can you learn to compartmentalise what you're seeing? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's something I haven't really thought um, too, too much about. I suppose it's just, you know, as I said, you, you just you take each job as it is and, um look at it literally as this is the job that we've got to do. You know, we've been called because someone needs our help um, and we're here to do a job and that's to to get that person 
um, out of the car if it's a car accident um, or, you know, even even to just a fire if, if you know, if their house or what, if that's, that's on fire, we, we've got to put that out and just that's our job to do. Mm. Yeah, you're very lucky. So what sort of training, if any, uh, do you or your colleagues and recruits receive in managing your mental health as a, a volunteer firefighter? Um, look, I, I suppose it's just something that, um, you know, is discussed right from the very start of, you know, we're going to see things um, that, that might affect us um, and to know, know know your limits and when, when you can, when you've seen too much or, or when you're not in the right state of mind to go to it. Um, to go to those jobs but as I mentioned before you know the services that they offer to us um, that was made known to us very early and um, that these services are all available um, and like like anyone they want us all to be managing our mental health very well um, mm. yeah I'd, a firefighter is any different than anyone else because the stigma involved particularly in policing of asking for help and going to, say, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, there is a stigma. Um, And what we need to do is, I I bang on about it all the time, about normalising and not stigmatising the fact that you need some help, you know, mental health-wise. Is that prevalent in, in firefighters? Yeah, look, I would say like a lot of organisations, that's something that's changed a lot over the years and it is something that is spoken about now Um, and, you know, once upon a time it was, you know, I suppose it would have been seen as a a weakness or that and you wouldn't openly talk about it whereas now definitely it's gone complete 360 and, you know, you you want people to talk to you about those issues or, you know, get get that help if they need it. but, yeah, there's definitely been a change to that um, from, you know, a brigade level through to, you know, right up the organisation and, again, just with the services that are now available. Mm, yeah, it's fantastic. And, and look, this might see, seem a very naive question, but if you love the fire brigade so much, as you clearly do, yep. why wouldn't you make a career of firefighting rather than a volunteer? Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's not a not a naive question at all. Um, but you know, first off, for me, um, I've always been community focused. I guess um, that's that's how I was brought up. Um, you know, we, our, my family or my mum and dad were, were you know heavily involved in the local local basketball club. Um, we owned a, a a local pizza shop for you know 25 years, so we we're always in the community. So. For me, it was always about helping the community um, before, before you know, uh, money for a job. Um, and the CFA was something that really interested me. Um, however, I, I did try to join as a career firefighter when I was younger. Um, but, however, look, looking back, I think I was probably a bit too keen. Um, I, did, <laughs> I, I did get to sit the final panel interview um, but probably wasn't mature enough mentally at the time. Um, as the feedback I did get from them at the time was, you know, you, you did well, but come and see us again in a few years, um, which, you know, was something I thought about. But then, you know, you, you're in your current job, you know, progressing quite, quite well. Um, and, yeah, it's something I, I didn't look back, back into pursuing as a career. Mm, okay. And so you were saying that you're trained in using the jaws of life. Is that the word you use, the jaws of life? That's what we as the public call them. What do you call them? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we'll just, I suppose, call them our, res- our rescue tools or or that the hydraulic tools is probably um, how, how we would describe them. Um, but, you know, that they are an amazing and powerful piece of equipment. Um, they're, they're all very heavy to, to use and operate, so... I suppose depending on how you're using them or where you're cutting, like if you're cutting above your shoulders or that, you might require help from a second person. Um, but I guess the range of tools that we have uh, or hydraulic tools, you know, you've you've got the cutters, which are what people would consider to be your jaws of life, um, which I suppose the easiest way to describe these is that they are like just a, a big pair of scissors that'll, that'll cut through metal um, like a hot, hot, a hot knife through butter. Um, so it's, it's amazing the, the power and it, you know, at ease, some, some of the newer cars are a bit harder, but 
just to ease how, how well they cut through, you know, an A pillar or a B pillar of a car. Then you've got your big spreaders, um, which, as the name suggests, that they can spread. Um, you know, and we, we might use these if, you know, a car door has been jammed. So for, from the car accident, the gap between the doors is closed up. So, you know, we can't just use the handle to open it. Um, we need to put the little put the tip of the spreaders in there to, to pop the door open. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, then we have the what we call the two and three stage rams, so which essentially I suppose they're, they're like a big pole that can push objects away from each other. Um, so, for example, if a car was in a head-on accident um, and most likely the dash is going to move forward in the car, potentially trapping the person, um, so they would be trapped under that, we would use the, the rams to essentially push, push the dash off them so we can then remove them from from the car so mm. impressive um, are, impressive <laughs> yeah I, I do remember once I completed my rescue training you know it, it's a good feeling to know that you're trained in using you know these important tools um, oh, that yeah. you know that you, mm. you can use to really help people out mm. Mm. well they are really life-saving equipment aren't they literally mm. oh, a- absolutely yeah hey Lee has there been a situation where you haven't been able to, like with all that equipment that you've got, have you ever had a situation where you haven't been able to extract somebody and had to call in somebody else? And who, and, and if so, who would that be? No, no, we haven't had a situation where we haven't been able to um, get someone out of a car. I suppose when, when you rock up to... To a car accident and you've got confirmed people trapped, you know, you, you'll be looking at that car and in your head you'll already be running through, okay, what's our plan A? What's our plan B? C, D, E, F, you know, as many as you need. Um, and, yeah, we, we haven't had a situation where we haven't been able to get someone out. We, You know, you have situations where your plan A won't work, um, but that's, that's why you have plan B, plan C in place. So, you know, it might have started off that, you know, we're just going to pop this door, push the dash off, you know, and then straight out they go, and then it turns out that nah, that doesn't work and, you know, you end up, you might have to, you know, remo- remove the whole side of the car or remove the remove the roof or, you know, you, you've got all these different um, options available to us, but then sometimes even it might be just as simple as have you checked the doors unlocked because um, <laughs> the door might just open. And it sounds silly. No, but, it doesn't. Um, I, I get that completely, Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, you grab this big tool off, big yeah. hydraulic tool to pop a door open and all you had to do was open the door handle and we had access. So. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a couple of jobs that I did as a police person. Oh, yeah, I can't go into it, but we were looking for a lady in a house and we thought she was uh, she was deceased and we found a chainsaw. This is myself and a friend, a colleague, a female, and we found a chainsaw and just starting the chainsaw would have been, you know, worth uh, any video. So we find this chainsaw and we started. I don't know how we started it, but anyway, because we couldn't get into the house. So we chainsawed the lock on the uh, back door and anyway, eventually <laughs> we get in and then we have to go through another door to get in and we get into the house and uh, the little old lady's not there and we hadn't checked but she uh, had put in an absence from residence form that you were all – this is years ago now where whenever you were going to be away for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I can always remember when we told the sergeant what we'd done, he was – you know, the blood <laughs> ran from his face and he was around at this house within minutes. And, uh, yeah, and we hadn't done those basic things, exactly like you're saying there about the door. You know, you check that the door's yeah. um, unlocked. Yeah, we didn't check the absence from residence <laughs> form. And, um, anyway, she was very understanding, the little old Lady, her and her family thought that we'd done a great job um, in wrecking the house, but also <laughs> making sure that she was safe. So, anyway, uh, I, do, I do digress. Um, so, when you attend a fire, where on the way there, where's your ha- your head at? What what are you thinking on the way? You know, you talked about you've got your plan A down to plan Z. Do you have an idea of what you're going to do before you get there? Yeah, so look, I mean, it, it depends on the, the job you're going to. 
and any further information that you get from dispatch on the way, um, or, or it might even be signs along the way. You know, if we if we've been um, page to a house fire and you can already see that thick black column of smoke, well, you know you're not going to a false alarm. Um, you know, and it might be that they're receiving multiple calls, things like that. So, yeah, you you are looking if you're in that crew leader seat, you you'll be looking at who you've got in the truck with you, what qualifications they have, and, and you would start to to pre-task and allocate things to to those members so that so that when you get there, we're ready to go straight away. Um, but yeah, look, a lot of things will will run through your head, but hopefully, um. Yeah, the major a lot of time a lot of the times it's not um, you know anything overly major. You know, isn't that funny? Because I'm thinking to myself, I was going to ask you. So you know, what are the emotions going through your mind? But the more I talk to you, the more I realise that you don't think about your emotions. You are thinking about <laughs> no, it, it it's. Um, it's probably why, like, don't get me wrong, I was a good policewoman, but it's probably why I got so involved with what I was doing. Like, emotions really don't come into it with you, do you? Like, you're not thinking about, oh, my God, I hope nobody's passed away or I hope there's, you know, whatever it be, but you are thinking purely of how you are going to stop that fire, for instance, save the person. Like, you're thinking it's all about the job, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's what you look at. I mean, we're, you know, as the fire brigade, you know, our main priority is is to protect the community and, you know, the protection of life and property. Um, that, and that's, that's what we're there to do. Mm. Yeah, and you do it so well. So how do you feel when you have to get out of bed in the middle of the night, uh, leaving your family for hours at a time, uh, having little sleep, Boy, this brings back memories. <laughs> um, and you attend a fire and you find out, for instance, that it's deliberately lit. Does that make you feel really angry and pissed off? Um, look, honestly, it's it's probably not something that I've really thought about. Um, again, you, I just look at the job on hand and, and what's required from us. You know, definitely if something's suspicious and it needs to be investigated, you know, we'll, we'll protect the scene or the point of origin um, but that's more a job for the fire investigators um, to do, um, or, or the police investigation. Um, so I try, you know, I try not to get bogged down or think about that too much. Um, look, it, it definitely can make for a long day at work when you know you have a call out at two a.m. in the morning. Um, then you know you get back home at four a.m. Um, you know you can't get back to sleep straight away, and then suddenly the alarm goes off for five thirty. And you're on, you know, you're off to to your paid job, but you know that that's that's all all part of it. But you know, it, it can be hard, you know, leave, leaving the family for hours on end. Um, but you know, I'm I'm pretty lucky that you know M's um, very supportive, and you know, my whole family are, are very supportive and understanding. You know, even if you know one time was having to leave Christmas lunch to fight fires that broke out in Sunbury on Christmas Day back in 2015 and then, you know, not arriving back home until the early hours of Boxing Day. But, you know, you, you've, you've got to help out when you're needed. Yeah. it's. I was just going to say it's very, I think the word is noble, but then because you're a volunteer, you're not getting paid to do that. I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, the times I've been a policewoman and I've been called out and you haven't been able to go to Christmas or New Year's Eve, whatever it be, but there's a huge difference. Mm. I'm getting paid. You're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you, you've, you know, we're, we're there protecting the community that we live in. So that's, you know, that's what you sign up for and that's what, you know, we all love doing. So we're, we're going to do that. Absolutely. You know, when I was just asking you then about attending fires where you find out they're deliberately lit and do you feel angry, I can always remember when I was working at Kyabram, we had a, a number of fires that were being lit that were deliberate. You, you know, you didn't have to be a fire investigator to see, you know, it was where they had started and when and, you know, there was always this particular car that was seen leaving the area, whatever it be, but we knew that it was deliberately lit and I used to feel, because I, I used to have to get up at the night, you know, if I was on call and you'd drive the half hour to where the job was and you'd put out the fire or, you know, you'd be there with the fireies and, and then I'd go home and I used to feel 
enormous anger at the fact that mm. I had to get out of my bed and <laughs> go to a job like that knowing that somebody's, I don't know, with, if they were getting their rocks off or what. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase was or whether it's kids just being silly but gee that used to yeah. make me angry yeah yeah <laughs> anyway uh, no, you, you just can't can't let yourself feel that way you make it sound so easily <laughs> <laughs> so so talking about uh you just said then about uh, a really bad bush fire or a fire in sunbury one christmas were mm. you involved in any way with black saturday Nah, so so for me, um, I had applied to join in 2008, so the summer before Black Saturday, yeah. um, but I did miss the intake of that course. Um, so I was just, you know, that annoying annoying person that kept, you know, emailing and trying to join, <laughs> trying to join, and eventually, um, yeah, I got to start my training in August of 2009, so the summer after Black Saturday, which I suppose when, you know, you look back at it, Potentially, if that was, you know, the first fire you see, um, that could be, you know, pretty pretty daunting for someone fresh. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, you would have loved to have been able to help the community out because what was happening across the whole state was just absolutely devastating. Mm. It was. I worked Black Saturday and it's um, embedded in my mind, but I also understand very much that there's a lot of people out there that were affected by Black Saturday that lost, you know, loved ones and that. But um, I think in a way, Lee, you could uh, thank your lucky stars that you weren't involved in Black Saturday. Do you have any colleagues or friends that were? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's there's still a lot of um, members within the brigade now that, that were heavily involved that, you know, did countless hours. Um, you know, on trucks, fire grounds, ICCs, um, especially, you know, in in plenty, while plenty itself didn't burn, you know, we're, we're not far from Whittlesea and King Lake and, you know, th- those areas. So our group of fire brigades that we're all part of were, you know, he- heavily affected. Um, and so we were, yeah, heavily involved um, for, for weeks after the actual day. Mm. Yeah. So, and so out of all the incidents that you've attended in your 12 years are there one or two I'm sure that must stick in your mind and why um yeah look there's always um there's always some jobs that that stick um stick in your mind um you know if I think back to the um very first big fire I went to um you know that would have been back in June 2011 
Um, and so I was, I was still living at home with mum. Um, that was the uh, Nilambit Council officers caught fire. So they were um, doing a renovation of the main building and they had a um, temporary portable about 50 metres long where all the staff had relocated to while the main building was being renovated. And I remember I was up really early that morning to – I was actually doing something for the brigade because we just sold our four-wheel drive in the fire brigade and I was going to take that across to um, – like a car detailer place to strip all the decals and remove the lights and sirens out of that car so they could then be placed into the new one to go into commission. And where where mum lives in um, Greensboro, you can see very clearly up the hill where, you know, Neil and Bit Cancel offices are. And I walked out the um I walked out the front door to to get the paper and I could just see this glow in the sky. And I looked up and I thought, geez, is that am I am I seeing things here? And I'm look and I'm looking at it, and you can sort of see like you know the the smoke moving, and I just thought that that is something is on fire up there around that you know Neil and Bit Cancel offices area. There's a few big buildings there. There's a a big TAFE, a, a very big primary school, a sports complex, and I'm like one of those is on fire. I'm like, how have we not been called to this? So I um, jumped in the car to start driving to to the fire station. And, you know, I was only in the car for about a minute and a half, two minutes, and the pager comes through for, you know, Structure Fire, Civic Drive, Greensboro. And I went, yeah, I think uh, I think you're right there. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you rock up at the station and you're the first one there. The, the captain comes around the corner and I said, this is a, uh, this is a going job here. The, um, I said, that's, I said, I think it's the cancel officers are on fire. So then we start to get further information and that was the first job that I actually got to where um, BA in anger, so where the breathing apparatus at an actual actual job, and I just remember, yeah, the 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 whole building going really well when we got there, and being the first in BA with a member from another crew, and you know, opening the door to that building, and then we, you know, you start to see things start falling down from the ceiling, and you realise that this is going to be just an external attack of that, uh, that fire. But, you know, we, you know, we got, we got the fire under control within a couple of hours, but then we would have stayed there pretty much for, I think I saw sunrise on scene there. And I think we pretty much saw sunset. Um, and yeah, you know, we were hanging around there while the fire investigators did their thing, but yeah, that definitely stands out as, you know, the first big fire. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of car accidents that, you know, stay, stay in your mind. Um, you know, including one we went to only last year, just during the first um, lockdowns in in Melbourne. Um, you know, it was it was pouring pouring rain. It was a you know a horrible day to be out on the roads anyway. Um, and you know, it, just through you know a complete accident, just one car lost control around a corner. Um, and you know, there's there's another car coming, and they unfortunately collided head on. Um, and, uh, the driver of one car, um, of, uh, did, did pass away there. Um, but you know, we, we obviously had to wait for the major collisions, um, to attend. Um, so we actually, in that situation, we actually went back home, um, and then they repaged us out or, you know, three, four hours or so later in the day to actually go back and, um, do the extrication from the car. But, you know, it's, you know, it's never good to to go to an accident where anyone dies, but especially when it is, you know, a younger person, those, you know, they it, it, that does stick with you. Mm. And was that a younger person on that day? Yeah, yeah. He, you know, they they would have been in their in their twenties. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's 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 not nice. Um. You know, as I say, no, no matter what the age, but you know, that's that's you know, someone's son or daughter, mum or dad, brother or sister, you know, that just the ripple effect of people affected there is huge. Mm. I'm detecting a little bit of you are thinking about emotional things there, Lee. <laughs> See, it's Look, there. <laughs> it's there, but that's that's sort of, yeah, you know, yeah. that that comes afterwards, you know, in, in our debriefs and that. So yeah. at, at that point, you know, you're you're just focusing on, on the task at hand there. So Yeah, yeah. Um and have you had any other major um, incidents that you've never really forgotten? It's embedded in your mind. Yeah, uh, look, look again. You know, uh, there's an, another car accident that always um, 
you know, is is in my mind. This happened, you know, quite a few years ago, again, in, in the wet um, and a truck lost control and, and hit this other car, um, unfortunately um, k- killing the occupant. Um, but then, again, major collisions. We actually left for a few hours and then come back. But, you know, I can just just remember that that accident and then the the cutout from the car um and and you, you just remember just how quickly the um the the rigor mortis happens mm. um it's it's yeah I, I just remember that it was the first time I'd really experienced mm. experienced that at a job mm. um and yeah something that you don't you don't forget mm. no you don't do you and I'm just thinking now whenever I've been to a fire and I haven't been to that many but whenever I've been to a fire, the smell of the fire is all through my uniform, through my hair. You just it's in the pores of your skin. You just can't get it out. So yeah. do, does the uniform, uh, the the what do you call it? The um, turnout gear. Yeah, the the T O G. The T O G. The turnout yeah. gear. Does that stop the smell of the fire, or do you still get that through your body? You can smell it. Oh, you, you can still you can still smell it. So depending on you know whether it's a structure fire or you know a, a grass fire, a bushfire in the summer, they're different different uniforms that we wear. Yeah. Um, but you definitely can can smell it. But it's 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 about you know getting your uniform cleaned regularly. So you know, if if we come back from a job where you know, it's been really dirty, really messy. You know, you've been picking up things that are burnt and your uniforms, you know, got the black soot and all that over it. It's, um, you know, it, it's not a badge of honour to, to look at that. Like, you know, once upon a time people might look at it as, you know, that badge of honour, you know, I get my hands dirty and get get the work done. You know, it's about coming back, yeah, that gear's all dirty. Um, let's go get that sent away to get cleaned. We've got a spare set to, to use. Um and you know, always keeping your gear your gear clean because if you can smell it on it, that's you're breathing that in still. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the bushfires that's a, a different smell altogether. But yeah, you definitely if I if I was to come home from you know a, a decent shift um, on a strike team or that, and if I just tried to hop straight into bed, I'm sure I'll get a swift kick to um, get out very quickly. <laughs> I reckon you might too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so where you wash the the um, uh, your uniform, is that at the fire brigade? Do you have washing machines there? And, again, I don't know, so I apologise to it sounds a naive question again. But do you have no, washing, that's okay. Do you uh, wash it at the fire brigade or do you at the station or at home? Uh, so no, we don't don't bring it home. Um, but if it's you know if it's our wildfire gear that we've used for bushfires, so they're like your yellow CFA or you know the, the yellow gear that you see firefighters wear during the summer months yep. at bushfires. Yep. Um, you know we, we'll tend to to wash that. Um, at, we've got a, a washing machine at the fire station that's okay. specifically for that. Um, in in terms of the structure gear, um, that's the thick, heavy, heavy, heavy clothing. Um, you know that's you know if you if you thought about you know your your snow gear you might wear with the thick jackets and that yep. even thicker and that's that's what it is that you know there's a, a contractor um, that actually comes and takes that away so you know we, we would book that in okay. um, book a pickup and they would come come take that away get it professionally cleaned and bring it bring it back to us so that's why the majority of us have at least two sets of gear so if one's away getting cleaned mm. we've got another set we can use straight away well. Life must have changed a lot. Uh, when did I, in 1987 or 88, might have been 1988 and I was just out of the, uh, might have been out of the academy six months or so, and I went to a, a young woman that had set herself a lot mm. and uh, yeah. I'll never forget it. Uh, well, of course I wouldn't. And we were the first unit there. We were the police, obviously the police, and we got there, you know, very, very quickly and I remember the smell of that, unfortunately, mm. the smell of that lady yeah. stayed with me for a very, very long time and I 
got those my uniform I got it dry cleaned there was nothing like a you know the, the station a washing machine and if there was it'd be the the women that'd be washing it and putting them out on the line yeah. <laughs> but then again that was a different era I know yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, I can always remember I had it was in my nostrils it was in my hair I could not get that smell out and you know a lot of police say the same thing that we have a lot of trouble, say going to a barbecue lot where that that smell is again. Mm, yeah. Do you ever have that issue? Uh, no, I can't say it's it's an issue that that I've had. Um, but you're right; it's definitely a um, d- distinctive smell. Mm, um, mm. But yeah, it's, I haven't come across anything like that, so probably a bit lucky in that in that regards. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, so being a volunteer, I've often wondered, like if bosses and managers of companies, do they begin to resent the number of hours? For instance, your employer, would they, well, maybe not your employer, let's take it away from you, somebody, another member of the brigade, their employer, would their employers start to resent the number of hours that um, the employee is spending away from their employment as their role as a volunteer firefighter. Like, are, are they compensated for their generosity in any way, or is mm, it, yeah. you know, it's just part of being a volunteer firefighter? Oh, no, look, look, definitely you you do need a supportive employer, that's for sure. Um, However, I suppose I was lucky when I joined that I was still working full-time in our family business. Um, So, you know, I had mum and dad's full support there. Um, But I was also in charge of the rostering as well. So I could easily roster myself around training courses that I had to complete. Mm. Um, You know, but as for jobs coming in while I was working, um, you know, we we have a system inside the brigade where, you know, we, we mark our availability. So if... You know, I'm at work on my normal day. Say I'm working, you know, the seven till four shift at work. Mm. I've I've marked myself as unavailable during during that time. So um, I w- it wouldn't be expected of me to just you know up and leave work um, to to go to respond to to this job. Not to mention that I also work out of the area anyway. Um, but you know, that's part of the reason why you know we have over forty firefighters um, that are operational and available for call outs. So. You know, you've always got people that are available to respond. Mm. Um, now um, I work um, for Aldi in the supermarket game um, and, you know, they're, they're very supportive of what I do. Um, I'm still able to roster some shifts around important training sessions or courses um, or, you know, sh- strike teams during summer require a bit more organising and they can be obviously last minute. But, you know, that's one of the beauties of working for a bigger company. You know, we we can call on other stores to, you know, lend us a, lend us a staff member if I was able to, to be released from, um, uh, from shifts. But, you know, in terms of compensations for employing a volunteer firefighter, no, they don't receive um, anything, but um, I do have access to emergency services leave, um, as would most people, I would, okay. I would assume. But, but, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if, you, if you're working full-time, that's your, your bread and butter, um, that's... You know, you, you've got to stay in work. But, again, you know, we've got a lot of uh, volunteer firefighters at our brigade as well as, um, you know, great support from the, the paid firefighters around us responding to calls as well with us. Because I know uh, in the area that I live, most of the volunteer firefighters, they are farmers and they will just drop everything and go to a fire. I've never seen anything like it. Their main job, I suppose, as a farmer is secondary. Like to fight a fire in the country, I don't know what it is, but they just drop everything. And they are always, I'd have to say, they're nearly always the first at a scene, nearly always. Yeah, yeah. Look, you are, you know, we're, we're reliant on, you know, you've always got your core group of responders that respond to a lot of a lot of calls, yeah. but then, you know, you've got your additional members that can respond as well. We're, we're quite fortunate in the mix of members that we have. You know, we've got a few um, retired members who are available for a lot of calls. Um, 
as well as a lot of members that, you know, from the middle of the night can, you know, be at the station, you know, some in, you know, really less than a minute, others, you know, within that two, three minutes to make sure we, we get a truck out um, very, very quick. But, you know, I suppose over the last 18 months with COVID as well, we've had a lot more members working from home as well. So, again, you know, you've got to have the supportive in employers, but, a lot of them have been able to, you know, if their office workers working from home have then been able to be available when they normally wouldn't have been. Mm, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, I just know that at home I can, I can never get over just how, oh, not keen is the wrong word, but it's it's – they just drop everything. Oh, gee, they're, you know, and they're always at the station. They're cleaning stuff. They're doing the garden. Like, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like that in metropolitan Melbourne. I mean, I don't know about your station, but I know, you know, where I live, the uh, the members, the so I think the social side is a big thing for the farmers as well. It's a really, yep. yeah, it's a really great social environment for them and because farmers most of them just work on their own or a lot of them you know work on their own so I think they find it a, a godsend in a way for you know somebody to talk to as well yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and now you did when we were talking before you did Police have very humorous stories at times. You know, there's been, you know, where people, you shake your head and you think, you know, nobody would ever believe that. But I didn't believe the story you told. I thought you might share that with the listeners. Yeah, and probably people people won't won't believe it either. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you do get your, you know, humorous descriptions for calls to go to, you know, you you, you can get your, you know, your, your funny ones where people think, you know, cat up a tree. You know, I remember one we got birds stuck in tree, and I'm thinking, well, it's a bird. Shouldn't it be in a tree? Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what do you what do you want us to do? It's it's a bird and it's up a tree. Um, but no, one um one one that sort of sticks in my mind that's that's quite funny without you know giving away a lot of details is that you know you you know you get you get paged and you you know your pager will you know have all the details like your time of the call the job number the who whose job it is and then it's got a little description which you know for you know your, your standard job might just say house fire or grass fire or car accident those sorts of things mm. but this one um, this one said um, testicle stuck in chair um, and then and then the address below of where it was and um, I, I remember reading that one and thinking, "You what? That, that that can't be real." And then you know you, you hear the trucks all turning out yeah. to to the job, and you can hear almost the childish giggle in the voice of you know testicle stuck in chair. Um, and then I think when it when it came to our turn to um to turn out, it's almost like you're passing the mic around to say, "Who's turning out? I'm not turning out to that job. Um, I don't. I'm not going to be able to not laugh." Um, and I. I I can't remember who it was that turned out for us, but they 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 handled it very professionally and just said turning out to incident at <laughs> the following address. So and then yeah, then you're drawing short straws, going you know who, who's helping out here? I'm not no, no, that, that, that's your job. So oh, nah, so but. in all seriousness, why would the fire brigade be called like that for? Let's let's go there. A testicle stuck in a chair. Why? What have you got um, that uh, I don't know? The police? Well, it wouldn't really be a police matter. I don't. An ambulance? Like, what have you got that the, another? Why would you be doing that? I suppose. Well, we got, we've got the jaws of life, Narelle. Yeah, but that's for. <laughs> yeah, you know what, Lee? Sometimes things are better left. Let's just no. Nah, leave nah, it. Look, there. I mean, we would get called to that the fire brigade in general because you know you've got. Um, I don't know if it's the correct way to use it, you know, small, smaller tools or, or that that can be used to help free free limbs. So it's, it's not uncommon for us to get called to, you know, a foot stuck in a chair or yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that, that part of the anatomy, that was a, um, yeah, that, that, was, that was one I'd never seen before and I'd never seen since come up on a call. No. 
<laughs> oh, I've just got I've got a visual and it's it's not good. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people do. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> if they're about to have their dinner or whatever. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, so, what is it about firefighting that you love that's attract that attracted you, or attracts you? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I guess. Well, you know, first and foremost, it is the satisfaction you get out of helping others um, in their time of need. You know, no two jobs you go to are ever the same. Um, You know, some will get turned around en route. um, Others, we may spend hours there. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing that's that's consistent is you know that when someone's called triple zero and they've asked um, for the fire brigade or, you know, any emergency service, mm. um, you're making a difference to them and, and you're really helping them out um, potentially on the worst day of their life. So, you know, if they've called triple zero, they're, you know, things aren't going well for them and they, and they need that help. So, you know, to, to be able to offer that, that's, you know, that satisfaction is is amazing. Um, but you know, away from responding to jobs or, or training, you know, and the new skills you pick up, it's you know you touched on it before with the farmers around your area. It it is the friendships and the people you get to work with along the way. So you know you, you get to work with those within your brigade, but even in the area or across the whole state, if you're responding to other jobs. But you know, you, I've made many lifelong friends um, from people I, I just wouldn't have met if I didn't join up. Um, you know, one of my best mates that I did meet through the fire brigade is he's 20 years my senior, um, and I love to remind him of that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we still go away on our annual fishing trip um, each year um, and, you know, and we stay in close contact even though now he's um, since moved on from the brigade. Mm. But, you know, I, I honestly can say that I still love it just as much today as the first day um, I walked in the front door for, you know, you know that initial information send, uh, session back in winter 29, 2009, um, you know, to that first night of the, rec- the recruit course on that cold August night. So, you know, the most recent job I've been on, which you know, at the time of recording this was only, you know, three and a half hours ago. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, you were saying that uh, just this morning, like this is this is what, dedication is really because today is your day off hence why we made today the podcast (laughs) but on your day off you're on call for the fire brigade and you've been called out twice what have you been called out to today yeah so i mean the first one was at you know 4 4 30 this morning which um was you know we were going to go to uh like power lines down trees down on the road um but you know, as I say, not not everything turns into a job. So that that page come through um, this morning to to respond to that. And you know, you wake up quickly, throw some clothes on to leave, and straight away you get a cancellation page. So you know, that's that's a good outcome in that situation. They don't need us, um, but you still can't get straight back to sleep because that page has gone off. You've got ready to go, so the adrenaline starts to pump, and then um, back to bed. Um, but yeah, then. Uh, early this afternoon, yeah, we um, responded to a single car accident. A single car accident. So, um, you know, you just you just never know what what, what the jobs are going to be, and that's why everything's so different. Mm. And as I said, no, no two jobs are the same. Mm. Yeah, well, I've got to say, Lee, you know, like thanks for well everything that you do for the community, but also to M, your wife, who's. Um, Noted, no doubt needed you around at times when you were required elsewhere. So I just, you know, so thanks on behalf of all those people that you've helped at a scene or an incident where you arrive, you do what's required and then leave without those people probably never knowing who it was that helped them. And on behalf of all the families and friends of those people who weren't so fortunate, um, thank you for everything you did for their loved ones in their absence too because I'm sure you've probably, I don't know, held the hand or I don't know, some something you've done to help somebody that's passing away. I don't know, but nobody will ever know those, mm. you know, those little things that you do. Yeah, no, no worries. No, thanks. Thanks for those kind words, Narelle. And yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on as a guest today. Much appreciated. Uh, thank you very much, Lee. And again, thank you for everything you do for the community. 
and your colleagues, of course. <laughs> All right, Lee, thanks very much. Thanks, Nara. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. 